Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be in this morning. The title of the message is, Are You a Saul Christian or a Paul Christian? Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask You to bless all of us with the preaching of it. Help me to tell the truth from Your Holy Bible. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Besides the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, this is probably one of the greatest events recorded in the book of Acts. Saul, he was born in Tarsus. He had an intense hatred of what he thought was disloyalty to the law. The law that he attempted to keep. Saul was one of the greatest teachers. He was a top dog disciple of Gamaliel who he learned at his feet. Concerning us, some of us were born again. Some of us have an intense hatred of other Christians who disobey God's commands and the commands that we attempt to keep. Okay, this is this is some Christians, some of us, some Christians say, "Oh, we're we're at the feet of the greatest teacher, the greatest Bible teacher." That's you. That's me. We need to be careful we're not just at the feet of a Gamaliel. We need to make sure we're at the feet of Christ. That's why the title of the message, are you a Saul Christian or a Paul Christian? Saul, he realized that he needed Christ. Yes, he hated what God hated, but he also loved what God loved too, which is people. We need to get that. Hate what God hates, but love what God loves. He ends up realizing that people need Christ. Christ is the teacher that we all need to be at the feet of. Jesus Christ. This caused a Christ-like attitude that fueled Paul's preaching and it fueled Paul's life. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. And Saul... Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. Saul, he could not stand Christians. Some Christians are just like Saul. Because as Christians, they look down on every other Christian. You have to be careful. We're not the guy, we're not the gal that has to point out the wrong and everything. Sees the negative in every sermon, every conversation, every, every fellowship. It's always everybody's wicked. It's always everybody's a devil. But more the motive is to show how right they are. It's motive. It's motive. We have to be careful. People get hooked on long distance preachers. They go out. And it's threatenings and slaughters to everybody. They can't fellowship with their home church, their local people, or anybody in their town because they're clicked on somebody on YouTube or Facebook some long distance. And what happens? Persecute, persecute, threatenings, slaughter. 
There's a time for all of that. We need to be care. We need to be careful. Everybody in your life, everybody in my life shouldn't be a problem. Everybody on your job, everybody on my, my business or my job shouldn't be a problem. I've worked with people my whole life. Part of it is just learning how to get along with others. That's a Christian principle, by the way. <laughs> learning to get along with people who don't do it exactly the way you do it. And just because you're a Christian, just because I'm a Christian, that doesn't give us a pass to act egotistical, to act arrogant, to act self-centered, to be ego-driven, threatenings and slaughters all the time. We check our own hearts. Look at verse number two. And the Bible says, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might... Look at this. Bring them bound unto Jerusalem. As a father, we got to be careful. As mothers, we need to be careful. Are our children being brought bound to church? Are our children being brought bound to do public ministry? Is it, is it that attitude or has there been a sweet attitude that's been cultured where they long to come to church, they long to go out and tell somebody about Jesus? Husbands, wives, do we bring our spouse bound? Is she held captive by you? Is he held captive by her? Is she afraid to say anything or make a move because of what the husband's going to do? Is the husband afraid to say or make a move because he's afraid of what the wife's going to do? It's everybody's bound. Not Christian attitude, not Christian character. You should be approachable. I should be approachable. We shouldn't help have people feel like they're just held bound. We need to be careful, check our hearts. And I know if you, if you witness to the lost, I know you try to, I try to. It's easy to get into this mode of I got to win an argument. Let's try not to bound people to the fact that now we're in a contest against them, me against you. I'm going to try to bound you instead. Point them to the to the cross so they can see Jesus be at the feet of Jesus Christ. It's not about winning an argument. Not about binding people. Bring somebody to Christ. Show them the cross. Never mind what's happening in corruption of government. Never mind what's happening in all this other stuff that we can see and get distracted by. Important. We should know. We should stay informed. Obviously. But we need to... Can't we? Those things ought not let us forget we should be bringing people to the foot of the cross. It's the preaching of the cross. It's easy to argue about politics all day. And sometimes fun. But we can't forget what our main message is. You preach the gospel to someone, you share, your, you share the Christian faith, with someone 
should be with a heart attitude of I long to see you come to see the Savior, not one of threatenings and slaughters, not one of binding. Saul, he was the ringleader of hatred of all Christians. Saul was the champion of the nation of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And the better he got at following the law, the tighter he was bound by the law. The more of an enemy of Christ he became. We don't want to become an enemy of God's work. We don't want to be hurting Christ's church more than we are helping Christ's church. That'd be a Saul Christian. We don't want to be a Saul Christian. Saul was the guy that summed up the blindness, hatred, and the unbelief of the whole nation of Israel. Don't be a Saul Christian that gives the whole church a bad name with threatenings, slaughters, binding people. Now look at verse 3. Acts chapter 9, verse number 3. Let's see. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. First, this is important to say. This is an historical account. This really happened. It's a true story. Now, with that said, let me ask this. Was it a flash of lightning? Was the hot sun blinding his eyes? Was it just fatigue from his journey that just caused him to hallucinate? Or was it a light from heaven itself? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's the face that shines as the sun and the raiment is white as the light, Matthew 17. Bible says in Revelation 1, his countenance is a shining sun. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6 says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It was the light of God that Saul experienced on that road that shone down from heaven. Go back a little bit. Get back to Acts. Let's look at something here. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse number 55. Let's see where heaven was open prior to this. Prior to Acts 9, let's see where heaven was open. But he, verse 55, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw, look at this, the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see, look at it, the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. This is Stephen. 
And he saw the glory of God. Verse 57. Heaven was open. Acts 7, 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet. Look at that. Whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Maybe Stephen, he's under the shower of stones, ready to die. Maybe he's looking right up into the eyes of Saul as he's praying that prayer. Lay not their sin to their charge. Either way, we're about to see the answer to the prayer Stephen prayed as he's being stoned before he dies. How about you and I? When we're verbally stoned, do we have the same prayer that Stephen had? When someone is verbally persecuting you, it's likely that you and I won't go through physical persecution like Stephen did. But how about the verbal persecution? Are we able to say, lay not this sin to their charge? Do we pray like Stephen? Or, as soon as we hear or feel a little bit of persecution and we become verbally stoned, do we default to threatenings and slaughters and bindings? It wasn't the heart of Stephen. Now let's get back to Acts chapter 9. Because here heaven is opened again. A light from heaven comes down. Acts chapter 9, verse number 3. Look right at the end of the verse. A light from heaven. What do we see first? Stephen sees the glory of God. What does he pray? Lay not this sin to their charge. Now heaven's open again. Saul sees the glory of God who is who is what? He's the chief of sinners. Saul's conversion, it's not only unique, it's not only unlike others, it's very unique because heaven will be opened again. You don't have to turn there, but Zechariah 12, 10 It says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Now the nation of Israel is blinded. They've been set aside temporarily. But the nation of Israel will see him again. You know when? When heaven is opened. And you know what the result's going to be? a national salvation of the nation and the conversion of Saul. It's a great type. It's a great picture. It's a great type of this national conversion of the people of Israel, which will take place when heaven is opened again. Revelation 1, 7, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. 
and they also which pierced him. Who's that? That's the nation. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. All right, verse number four. Look what it says. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Well, is Saul there persecuting Jesus? No, he already died on the cross. He already rose again. So what's the context of the verse? It's Christ's church. So verse 1, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord. Uh, who's the disciples of the Lord? It's the church. Um, so the church was in existence before Paul, just throwing that out there. It couldn't have started with Paul. Why? Because we see Paul is accused of persecuting the church. Now, verse number five, it says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. All right, let's take a side rail. Goads. What's a goad? Well, that's what the NIV and some of the modern versions have replaced pricks with goads. Hard from the kick against the goads. That's what the NIV says. Now, one of the arguments they'll make against the King James Bible is that they use archaic language. Um, I have I don't know what goads is, but that's not a word I use all the time. So are you against archaic words and archaic language, or are you only against a book? Makes you think, makes you wonder. Why did they use this word if it's outdated and out of use? It's an unfamiliar word to us. They say it's supposed to be easier to read, but now a farmer would use a goad, which is a spiked stick used for driving cattle, where that word comes from. Pricks, though is a word used to denote you're hurting yourself. Paul's hurting himself. He's kicking against the pricks. It's affecting him. He needs to be saved. He needs to come to Christ. It's not the cattle. It's not the other people out in the field. It's not a goat. It's a prick. That's what the Bible says, and it's specific about its language. And ironically enough, one version says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are only, it says, hurting yourself. It's actually a better definition of the word pricks than actually retranslating the word to goes. Now, those that say, well, that's just an archaic word. It should, that, that shouldn't be in there. Um, kick against the pricks. It's found in 
Here's what it's found in. The old Latin and some Vulgate manuscripts. It's found in the Peshitta. It's found in the Greek of Codex E and number 431. That's where it's found historically. And the only supposed manuscript that Goad has found is the NIV, the NKJV, the RSV, and the NASB. So I think we got better evidence to stick with what the Bible says. Anyway, a little side trail on that. We've got every word of God is pure. No real reason to change any of the words. Verse number 6 says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? When did Saul get saved? Lord. That's why the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's when Saul Get saved. Romans 10, 14, how shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Guess what Saul did? He believed. And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? Guess what Paul heard? A voice. The voice. How shall they hear without a preacher? The greatest preacher and teacher, the greatest rabbi, the greatest master he just heard from. God Himself. Jesus Christ speaks right to Saul. Preaches right to him. So you and I, we get a proper view of who Christ the Lord is. Be willing to just throw ourselves right at the feet, foot of the cross, right at the feet of the greatest teacher, Christ Jesus. Lord, what will thou have us? What will thou have me to do? Now look at this. Jesus says, look how brief He is. Don't you just love the brevity of Christ? And He said, Who art thou, Lord? There it is again. And the Lord says, watch, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's Christ. The more, well, A couple things you can learn from here. The more that you show that you care, the less that you have to say. The more that you are, the less that you have to say. It's the Lord. He doesn't have to say much. He shouldn't have to say much to us. It's all that Christ was. He was brief because He was, He is, and He will forever be Christ. And I think too many Christians, we get into this mode of why, 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 why? Well, how come... It can't just be, God said it, I read it, I'll believe it, I'll obey it. It's Christ! <laughs> it's not your sinful brother or your sinful sister or your sinful neighbor or your sinful children or your sinful parents. It's Christ the Lord! Why can't it be, it's because it's Jesus Christ and I read it in His Word and I believe it and I'm going to obey it. Why does it always have to be, well, i got to pray about that. No, you don't. You just read it. Just believe it. Argue with your neighbor. Argue with your kids. Argue with your spouse. Don't argue with the Lord. It's just nonsense. Saul Christians rather than Paul Christians. Well, this is, this is interesting. People say, you know, Paul's first act of obedience should be our first act, our act of obedience. You know, he got baptized. And that's the Christian's first act of obedience. 
look, I'm all about baptism. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that person should be baptized scripturally, not for salvation, but after they've been saved. I believe that wholeheartedly. I preach that, I teach that, you know that. But that was not his first act of obedience. Nor should it be ours. Look. Look what he says. Verse number 6. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, go get baptized. No. Arise. That's what he told him to do. And guess what he did? He arose. And guess what a lot of Christians need to do? They need to arise. They need to stand up. I'm ready to go, Commander-in-Chief. I've arisen. I've stood up and said, Here am I. What's next? You know what a soldier does first? He gets out of his bed and he stands up and he arises. When he goes in, boom, he salutes and he's ready to go. And that's what Paul did. He arose. And guess what he does next? His second act of obedience was, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He goes into the city. His second act of obedience. And then his third act of obedience is, he's going to wait until he gets further commands. Oh, if we would be a if we would be a Paul Christian rather than a Saul Christian, wouldn't that be great? Just arise. Say, I'm standing up for the Lord. Salute and I'm ready to go, but you're going to march into a city. You're going to walk into a situation. You're going to enter into an area. And then you're just going to wait until I tell you what to do. Now, wouldn't that be a great way to live? But that, and, and that is exactly what Paul is doing. But why, Lord? What's going to happen there? Are there going to be people there? What am I going to do? Am I going to talk to people about the Lord? Am I going to have a, a meeting with somebody? Are you going to be there? What's going to... None of that is recorded. He just arose and did what he was asked to do without having to qualify it with 1,300 questions. Verse number seven. And the man and the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Look at this Acts twenty six. Acts twenty six, verse number fourteen. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me. Well, looky here. I guess we have a contradiction in the Bible. Hmm. Did they stand or did they fall? Acts number 9 says the men stood. Acts 26 says they all fell. So which is correct? Did they stand or did they fall? Is there a contradiction? I don't believe so. But you got to admit, 
Someone that's looking for trouble can certainly stir up a pot. They both are correct. Here's the fact. When the light shone from heaven, guess what happened? They all fell to the ground. It's also a fact that it was omitted from the historical account that we find in Acts chapter 9 where we're reading. But, here's the question. When are they standing? They're standing after the Lord had spoken to him. Not when the light from heaven shone. You just read the text. Acts 9-7. Verse Acts 26-14. Now one thing to note in Acts 8, uh, John 18, verse 6, Jesus says, I am He. Guess what happened? They all fell to the ground. And you think when God shines His light from heaven that anyone's left standing at all? I don't think so. Everybody's down. <laughs> God shines His light from heaven. Everybody down. So why else would you have to say that men which journeyed with Him stood? Of course, when you are journeying, what are you doing? You're walking, which means you're standing. But here, the light shone. They fell. Now what happened? They stood back up. So there's no contradiction. The light shone from heaven. They fell down. Guess what happened later? They stood back up. Okay, so there's no, no contradicted, no contradiction. But maybe there's one here. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 7 again. Acts chapter 9, verse 7. Look at what it says now. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless. Look at this. Hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Hearing a voice. Now go back to uh, go forward to Acts 22. Because Acts chapter 9, verse 7 says, hearing a voice. Acts chapter 22, verse number 9 says, And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Uh-oh. Did they hear or did they not hear? All right. Acts 9 says, hearing a voice. They certainly heard something, right? Um, heard not the voice. Acts 22. They didn't understand what was said, so they heard not. They didn't understand. You know, it spoke to me. It, it, wasn't, it didn't speak to everybody surrounding Paul. It spoke to Paul. Which is why if you look a little closer, look at it in Acts chapter 9, 7. Look at the letter A, the word A or A. Now go back to Acts 22, 9 and look at. Look, it's right. Look at the word that's right before voice in Acts 22, 9. It says the. Oh, so they heard a voice, all right. But they didn't hear the voice. They heard a voice. People hear voices in their head all the time. 
But you know what Saul heard? The voice. Right to him, spoken, and he heard it. Now, go to Luke, uh, go to Luke 16 and John chapter 8. I want you to see this last point on this. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 and verse number 30. And he said, Luke 16, 30, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now keep your finger there and let's go to John 8. John 8, verse 43. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Every word of God is pure. Thy word is truth. The unit of measurement is God's word. People will hear what they want to hear. You know what? They heard a voice. You know what they didn't hear? The voice. You know what Saul heard? The voice. They're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets. Luke 16. Because they don't want to hear it. Do you think Moses and the prophets are telling them? You think you're telling a lost person? They're not listening. They're not listening. Until somebody comes up from behind you and says, you know what? I heard what you were saying. Can you tell me a little bit more about Jesus? And tell me that don't happen all the time with Christians all over the world. They're hearing a voice. They're hearing something. But they ain't hearing. And that's why Jesus says in John 8, you don't understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word. They're not listening. They don't want to hear. They don't want to learn. And you'll run into situations like that all the time. You think, you think the work, the effort isn't working and you think until someone calls or someone stops by or someone pulls you aside and says, I heard what you said. And you make a difference. So you know what they heard? A voice. You know what Saul heard? The voice. Definite article. He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. That's verse 47 in John 8. Now, uh, let's go back to Acts chapter 9. And Nathan and I did not plan this. But verse number 8 says, The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Oh, 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 oh my fault. Acts chapter 9. I got caught up on that one because... There's blindness there. 
Okay, Acts chapter 9. I'm sorry. Got carried away. Acts chapter 9, verse number 9. Everybody good? Uh, Verse number 8, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 9, verse number 8. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Led him by the hand. Now, Josiah, can you stand up for a second? You come on out in the middle. Right there. All right, now, I want you to close your eyes. Keep them tight, nice. Now, I want you to spin around three times. Spin, spin, spin. Keep spinning. Don't open your eyes. You opened your eyes. All right, very, very good. Keep them closed. Now, I want you to walk into the kitchen. Well, he did it because he has his eyes half open. He's not even scared to go in there. But how is he going to get? Very good. Thank you very much, Josiah. Have a seat. How is he going to get from point A to point B if he's blind and can't see? Somebody has to lead him by the hand. Sister Caroline, Brother Nathan, somebody has to take him by the hand and lead him to where he's going to go. Can't see. What do you have to do? What do I have to do to someone that doesn't know the Lord? They're blind. They can't see the things of God. They hear voices in their head all day, but they haven't heard the voice. They see things all the time, but they haven't seen God. They haven't seen the light of God. They haven't seen the things of God. They are blind and they are hearing voices inside their head. This is lost people. You have to take them by the hand and show them and guide them and lead them so they can come to the foot of the cross. There's no contradiction in the Bible. There isn't. People hear voices all the time. They need to hear the voice. Nine, nine, Acts nine, nine. And he was there three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. There's a, you know, culturally, I guess kids are supposed to be afraid of the dark because they all are. I don't know why parents buy their kids nightlights. I never figured that out. Just teach them to be afraid of the dark. That's real good. Um, They should be afraid of the light. (laughs) The light of God. I mean, they should have some fear of God, you know. Kids grow up, they're nine months in the dark. And then they're born, and now we teach them how to be afraid of the dark. I never got that. But they should be afraid of the light, God's light. Um, If darkness comes our way as Christians, we have the light of God. We have the light of God's Word. There's no reason for us to fear the dark. And he can, if we lose our sight for three days, he can see us through. Okay? Um, if we lose, lose our hearing for three days, he can see us through. There's no reason to be afraid of this if you trust God. Brother Nathan said earlier in the song service, Fanny Crosby, she's not seeing. You know the other thing that helps us to do? is not forget who we're trusting in. I want to be able to see, Lord. I thought you were trusting me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I still want to be able to see, Lord. Not so with Paul. Not so. 
Arise, go, wait. By the way, you can't see. I want us to be Paul Christians, not Saul Christians. I have to be able to see what's going to happen. No, you don't. No, you don't. And no, I don't. Who are we trusting in? Knowing what's going to happen? That's not trust. Trusting the God who has given us sight and makes our eyeball work. And the God that makes our intricate ear work. And at any time he can say, goodbye, it's not working anymore. Lights out. You're going to trust me. And Paul did. Paul did because he got saved. And he, all he wanted to do was obey the Lord. Well, most of all he wanted to do was obey the Lord. But that isn't the topic of our message. Neither did eat nor drink. Fasting. Right there. <laughs> Before he even got in water. <laughs> what a great thing to preach in a Baptist church. By the way, you're not going to eat or drink for three days. How well you think that's going to go over? I'm just telling you, he did a lot of acts of obedience before, right? And guess what? We as Christians, we take these little things for granted, but I can't tell from the passage if this is a voluntary or involuntary, but he fasted. He didn't eat and he didn't drink. Maybe he lost his appetite. Maybe he had so much going on that he didn't want to eat. Who knows? But he called on the Lord, he got saved. And guess what he's got? No physical comfort at all. My back hurts, my neck hurts, my leg hurts, my teeth hurt, my toes hurt, my hands hurt, my eyes hurt. What will thou have me to do, Lord? That's Paul. That's Paul. Not having physical comfort. I don't want the comfort. But I do. I don't want the food or drink or lunch. But I do. We're all there. So to close, is your life one of threatenings and slaughter? Are you a Saul Christian or a Paul Christian? Is your life a life of binding others? Are you a Saul Christian or a Paul Christian? Or is God's light shine round about you when you are on the road to religion, the road to good works, the, the road to getting your own way to heaven, the way to getting your own social status? The Bible says it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And it's a profound realization when you and I look into our own hearts and feel the weight and the condemnation of our own sin against a holy God is when we can then truly get the true picture of who we are before the righteous Holy One. We have to get the we have to own that. The publican, Luke 18, 19, uh, 18, 13 says, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Lost people. I really help them to become so absorbed 
in their own sin before a holy God that they only think that they're the only sinner. Imagine if we did that door to door. And that was our only goal to show them how righteous and glorified God is and how much that He did for us that at the end of that conversation, that person is so condemned in their heart, they feel so low as a sinner that they think they're the only guy in town that's that bad. Oh, we'd have revival in a month. In a month. But most of the time it's, well, I can't talk right now. I got a bowl of cereal. I got my Cheerios are getting mushy. God died for you so you don't have to go to heaven and you're worried about mushy Cheerios. That's where we are with people. But Lord helping us, we're, we're going to try to knock as many doors as we can this week. And we are going to try to get people to see their need for a Savior and just pray that one person would see himself so condemned and vile before a holy God that they would just fall down at the, feet of the, at the foot of the cross seeing themselves looking up as the only sinner in the whole town of Cookville. That's a man and that's a woman who's convicted of their sin. Our own sins should fill our mind, not everyone else's sin. Like Paul, do you see yourself surpassing all others in the greatness of your guilt before a holy God? Meaning, you say, I'm more guilty than anybody else out there. Instead of, you knock on a door, you're a good person? Oh, I'm pretty good. Wouldn't it be great to knock on someone's door? Are you a good person? No, I'm the vilest of sinners. I've been waiting for you to come. I feel horrible. I think I deserve hell. You're the kind of guy I'm looking for. And so is God. Lastly, Lord is used 13 times in Acts 9. People call upon the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever can repeat this prayer real quick, pull my finger and come to Sunday school and get a candy cane is saved. None of that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what we want people to do. Call upon the Lord. All right, would you bow with me, please? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Help us to love you more, witness for you, Lord, more. And Lord, help us as Christians to be a Paul Christian, not a Saul Christian. Amen. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church, where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.